Now, I'm going to be reading our morning scripture, which comes to us from 1 Peter. Now, if you were here last week or if you listened online, you know, we talked about Peter's um, conversation with the Lord that happened after the resurrection. Peter went on um, to truly become the rock on which um, the church was built, as Jesus said. And according to tradition, we don't have it in scripture, but Peter himself was crucified. Um, and some say that he was crucified upside down because he said that he did not even, even in crucifixion, he was not worthy to be crucified the same way that his Lord was. But um, Peter wrote a couple of letters to churches, and it was during a time of um, distress and persecution. So I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 through 10, and I invite you to listen for the word of the Lord. I need this. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him, a living stone. And I love this imagery that Peter uses. I think he probably was remembering that Jesus had named him Peter, which means rock or stone. But he realizes that Jesus is the living stone even far better than Peter was. So he says, Come to him, a living stone, though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight. And like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe he is precious, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, you know, a few years back, uh, some friends and I went to a music festival that was held down on Louisville's waterfront. 
and they called it Abbey Road on the River. Anybody here ever go to Abbey Road on the River? Um, it was a celebration of all things related to that rather iconic musical group, the Beatles. And I realized that yeah, I was a kid when the Beatles got started and were in their heyday. Some of you all may have been too. Some of you are much younger. You may have never listened to the Beatles. But anyway, you know, whether you love them or hate them, or if you've never much heard of them, many pundits acknowledge that few bands have paid as much attention as the Beatles did in their songs to people who feel lonely and invisible. And one of their hit singles was titled Nowhere Man. Now I'm gonna spare you singing it for you today, okay? But it's a rather depressing song if you really stop and listen to the words says, he's a real nowhere man, sitting in his nowhere land, making all his nowhere plans for nobody. Kind of dismal. But you know, I suspect that one of the reasons that that song became such a hit is because it resonated with people and because there are a whole lot of people out there who feel pretty isolated or unimportant or overlooked and they feel like nowhere people in a nowhere land. And I was reminded of that same thing a while back. Uh, there was a commercial on TV for a Louisville law firm. And they had a testimony from a recent client who said that she liked doing business with that law firm because they treated me like I was somebody. And she would say it just about like that. And every time I heard that commercial, and it was on a lot, but every time I heard it, I found myself feeling kind of sad for that woman. I mean, no disrespect to the lawyers out there. You all do a good and needed work. But, you know, is feeling like somebody dependent on a group of lawyers? But you know, when I listened to that commercial, I thought, I bet her statement strikes a nerve with a lot of people because all of us want to feel like somebody. And when I was researching for this message, I googled the phrase, feeling like a nobody. And in less than a second, 186 million results popped up. Obviously, I couldn't look at all of them. But it's also obvious that feeling like a nobody is a problem for a whole bunch of people. And I think it's when people are fearful that they're going to be perceived as nobodies and they, they feel isolated and unimportant and overlooked that they tend to do things and often things that are unwise and unhelpful. 
so that they will be noticed or will be thought to be important. We hear a lot about bullying these days. As my guess that at least some of it comes from people who are trying desperately to validate their own importance. People who desperately want to feel like somebody. But unfortunately, the way that they are doing that is at the expense of somebody else or some other group of people. And then because they do that, then far too often the bullied person increasingly feels like a nobody. And when that happens, it can lead that victim to a very dark place. And let me just say here as an aside, if anybody listening to this sermon today, either here in the building or online, is in a dark place emotionally please reach out to one of your pastors. We want to help. I don't want anybody to be in a dark place and feel all alone. And we can help because there is good news. There is good news for every one of us who is sitting here today. There is good news for any person who may at times struggle with feelings of self-worth and feel like they're nobody. And the good news is that every person who, as Scripture says, has put on Christ, every person who has put on Christ is somebody with a capital S. And that's really what this whole passage from our friend Peter is all about. Now, we talked about Peter last week, and Peter certainly knew what it was to feel like a failure. And yet he could write this. And what he's saying, that the truth is, you know, if we try to live our lives apart from Christ and we're dependent on ourselves and, and either we're trying to make ourselves righteous in God's eyes all on our own effort or maybe we're not even bothering to try to be righteous in God's eyes but just doing our own thing. Well, yeah, if you're in those situations, you do feel like nobody. And in a sense, you are nobody. But when we come to Christ, everything changes for a person. And it's right there in verse 10. And you heard me as I read it. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And actually, if you go back to the Greek there that this letter was first written in, 
I mean, the translator says, once you were not a people, and, and you can think of as a group of people there. And, and they do that sometimes to kind of help us to understand things and help a verse to sound, sound coherent. But what, what the Greek really says is once you were, and it just gives this negative, once you were null. In other words, once we were nothing. But that's all over with. Yeah, once we were like that, but now we are gods. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. And I want you to get that. You know, have you stopped lately to realize how incredibly wonderful that that is? Because you and me and every person within the sound of my voice whose sin had us separated from God, who have absolutely nothing in our own merits or abilities to commend us, all of us have been invited into the family. We have been named God's very own children. He calls us beloved sons and daughters, and we have been given a place at the dinner table. And we're going to enjoy that place at the dinner table here in just a few minutes as we have Holy Communion together. And if that isn't enough, there's more. Because we have been promised an inheritance. An inheritance that doesn't fade away. You know, this passage is so rich. I hope you'll go home and, and just read it and think about it. Because the Apostle Peter has a lot here to say about what all of this means for us. And, and he kind of spells it out in, in the verses right ahead of this last verse that I just read. He kind of keeps saying the same thing in various ways. I think he does that because he knows we have a tendency not to get it. And so he tells us that we who are followers of Jesus are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. I don't know if anybody watched the coronation yesterday, but all about royalty has been a big thing. We are a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We are God's own people. And this is Peter, who had been a disaster on his own, who is able to write this because he realized that's who he was in Christ, even after all of his failures, and that's who we are too. The one who had failed the Lord, the one who had even denied him, realized that that was all in the past, that the death and resurrection of Jesus had changed everything for him, and it changes everything for every one of us. And we can know all of this because of who Jesus is. And in this passage, he describes Jesus as being our cornerstone. Now a cornerstone, and sometimes it's called a foundation stone or a setting stone, was the, historically the first stone that was set 
in the construction of a masonry of stone or brick we would use now too, foundation. And when that stone is placed, everything else is in reference to it. If you want to have a square corner, you square it according to that stone. That stone determines the positioning of the entire structure. And that's such a great way to think about Jesus. And it's such an apt metaphor on him, for him. Because everything on earth and in heaven has him for a focal point. Jesus is the one that determines everything that exists in heaven and on earth. It was in his dying that he took care of our sin problem. In his rising, he took care of our death problem. And in his ascending to the Father, and we're going to hear more about that in a week or two, and where he sits in glory, he intercedes for us. And he makes it possible for us to be transformed from nobody to somebody. Everything on earth that is true and good and beautiful has its reference, its foundation point in him. And so, friends, it is Jesus, our cornerstone, who gives us identity and gives us privilege. And I know that privilege has become a suspect term in our current culture. But Jesus offers the privilege of life, of transformation, of living in a holy way, of being his beloved people, of being stones that are built together with him as the cornerstone. He gives that privilege to anybody who wants it. It's privilege that's available to all without limit. And I think that is a wonderful way to come to the table today to Jesus, our cornerstone, who gives us our identity and who gives us the privilege of living always as his beloved children. Amen.